Hey, entrepreneurs, it's Steph here. Do you want to experience what it's like to be part of our Entrepreneurial League community of founders? Now is your chance. New member open enrollment begins on June 10th, and so does our Experience Week. I really want you to have the opportunity to experience what it's like to be part of the most supportive community that will be here to support you at all stages of your business journey during our Experience Week. This will be a five-day virtual event series, and it starts on Monday, June 10th through Friday, June 14th. You're going to get access to live networking and learning events, business growth strategies, as well as office hours with Kim Perel, who is a CEO and serial entrepreneurista, as well as a prominent angel investor. You will also get access to a session on how to win grants with Kat Weaver and Katie Dunn, founders of Power to Pitch. Plus, our mentor, Carrie Kirpin, will be teaching a session all about how to build a profitable business that can sell for more money. And of course, I'll be hosting two info and networking sessions where you can really get an inside look at all of the exclusive benefits and resources that are offered only inside of our Entrepreneurs League community. Plus, you'll have the chance to meet and build relationships with current members. You can register today for Experience Week over at entrepreneurs.com forward slash experience week. That's entrepreneurs.com forward slash experience week to join us for a week of free virtual events. I cannot wait to meet you and be part of your business journey. We're looking to raise X million of dollars to bring on an amazing team for finance operations and marketing. And with your funding, we have projected that we'll use it on this, that, and the third and scale to X number in revenue. And so if you're able to say that, and you know your market and your problem and solution are clear, I think that the more you pitch, the better you'll get. Ariane Long is the founder of Femly, a personal care brand on a mission to set a new standard with organic cotton period products and a patent pending dispenser. Ariane is the winner of our Entreprenista 100 Award, one of the first Black women who has raised over a million dollars in venture funding, and the winner of over 47 pitch competitions. Coming up, you'll hear how Ariane used the resources to start Femily while on a budget. What happened after Femily went viral on TikTok? You'll hear about the old school marketing technique that Ariane uses to get in front of new customers. And finally, why she loves using TikTok for marketing. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. Ariane, I am so excited to be here with you today. We just shared with our listeners that you were named our Entreprenista of the Year. Your story is so incredible. And I still remember reading your application and our whole team and the judges and just knew you were and are the epitome of what it means to be an Entreprenista. And I'm so excited for you to share your journey and story and all of your learnings with our listeners today, because I know they're going to learn so much from you. So thank you for spending the afternoon with me. Thank you for having me, Steph. That means a lot. (laughs) Tell me, did you always know growing up that you wanted to start your own business one day? 
Funny enough, I didn't. Like, but looking back, I came from a family that was very entrepreneurial. And I had a grandmother who sang with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Shirelles for years. And so when I was born, my grandma adopted me. And like on the weekends, we would go sell her fabulous jewelry at like flea markets and trade shows. So I feel like it was always in me. And I was always like the go-to friend that all of my friends would kind of follow behind. And so it lended itself to now being a successful entrepreneur, but definitely was not on my bucket list. Well, walk me through your career journey. And when did you have the idea to start Family? Sure. So it's pretty funny. In my background, I am not someone that has had like several corporate jobs. And so I graduated, I started college at 15 years old and graduated high school around the same time. And I originally started through a woman in science program at Stony Brook University in New York. But when my grandmother retired from singing, we ended up moving to Maryland and I started at Morgan State at 16, which is where I graduated from. I, at the time, experienced super painful periods. I mean, I was having to like change outfits at work and talk to my boss about getting me new chairs. And it was super duper embarrassing. And so I realized after going to a doctor that my symptoms were linked directly to chemicals in the period care that I was using. And when I couldn't find an option that was eco-friendly and sustainable, I launched Family to Meet Demand. But I had no idea what I was doing. And I kind of laugh with people that like, it was one of those fake it till you make it things where you just Google everything and like live each day on that day. Well, it is so common that that is the case for so many of us starting businesses. We have this pain point in our life and this idea and we're like, who better to solve it than than us? And we figure it out as we go along. And totally, you know, you just... You put it out there and you bake it till you make it. And you've definitely, you've definitely made it and have learned so much along the way now. So I know probably in the early days, it felt like you didn't know much. And I can definitely relate to that. And I think so many of us can. But what were some of those first steps that you took to initially start the business? So in the beginning, I realized that like I wouldn't be an actual business and not just a hobby if I didn't incorporate. And so I looked up for my local state legislation to see what incorporation looked like and what that fee was and like what I would need to protect it. So that drove me down the lane of like trademarks and copyrights and things like that. And instantly I quickly realized like, oh my gosh, I am not going to be able to afford this. Starting a business is super expensive. And so I leveraged many resources. For example, when it became time to file our trademarks to protect our name and our brand, instead of going directly to an expensive law firm and paying hourly, I used the local law clinic from one of our local law schools. Mm. And so I found resources like that where I would be able to get a discounted rate to start the business up, secure my intellectual property, or just take advantage of resources. So in the beginning, I joined fellowships like the Tory Birch Fellowship. I was a Stacy's Rise Pepsi Fellow, a Camden Private Equity Fellow. And my goal with joining these organizations was to build a sense of community and camaraderie, but then also get the resources that I would need to not only grow and launch, but to scale it and like get additional customers and make real money. And it did help because entrepreneurship is so lonely, especially in the beginning. Absolutely. It's one of the reasons why we started our Entrepreneurially community so we can bring everyone together and share these resources. So when the opportunities come up to apply for some of these fellowships and grants, we're giving everyone access and everyone can learn from each other. And 
why we have the podcast as well. So we can share stories like yours to learn from all of your learning lessons. So tell Mm -hmm. me, what were some of the mistakes you made in the early days? (laughs) Oh my gosh, there were so many. So one of the things that I didn't realize was that you can kind of hack your way into having websites done for lower tiered pricing and more. And so I started joining local Facebook communities and like local economic development corporations and instantly realized that family would have to be something I protect. There was another company that, you know, was thinking about using a mark similar to ours. And we got into a situation where our customers advocated for us and we were able to get that intellectual property secured without having to go through a legal battle. I think one of the other mistakes that I made early on was underestimating the need to either build a team or simply have physical support. For a physical product like ours, you often find that like the owner is the chief marketing officer. You are fulfillment and logistics. You are customer service. And I quickly started working with my younger cousins who were in college at the time to like form an assembly line in my grandmother's basement. And it was really funny. We had an incident in our third month where we went viral on Twitter and we got about 10,000 orders. And we had to refund more than half because we just didn't have capacity. But then that mistake, not having infrastructure in place, caused me to then start interviewing my first warehouses. And, you know, I wasn't going to these people with a huge budget. I was literally saying, like, look, I have $200. What can you do for me? How many boxes can you pack? Um, pack. How many included items can you fulfill? And from there, we kind of found people who were willing to grow with us. So interesting that that's how that happened. But I feel like it's in these moments when scale happens that you realize, oh, wait a second, we need to fix this to actually be able to grow this in a, in a way that's going to make sense for everyone. So Tell me where you are in the business today. I know there have been some big developments and updates over the past year. Sure. So Femly historically has always been a company that was increasing access to organic feminine care. And when we launched, we were doing that through a monthly subscription box. However, it quickly snowballed into becoming the only woman and minority certified feminine care company to provide touchless smart dispensers and restrooms around the country and accompanying organic pads and tampons. So currently we are selling a dispenser that I created and patented and that went viral with 70 million views into restrooms at colleges, hospitals, hotels, and beyond. And on the surface, I think that when people look at Femily, our online presence, they assume that we're like a big conglomerate and I love it. However, we are still a teeny tiny team that is executing using CRMs like Canva.com for our sales documents, using platforms like Planoly to schedule our social media posts. And so we're very, very scrappy. But I think in this economic time, it lends itself to success and has helped us grow considerably. So you still have your monthly subscription that you can still sign up for and the tech as well? Yes, we do. So the idea is that Our customers are discovering us through getting free samples in restrooms around the country, but 
when they fall in love with that product, there are scannable QR codes that they can use to unlock discount codes to find us in stores. We have a major retailer that we're in negotiations with now and to shop us online. So we think of ourselves as like your auntie holding a good glass of wine, telling you what to avoid to throw off your pH, and then also being there for you wherever you are, whether that's at a concert or at home, you know, postpartum. We want to be there for you. You've mentioned a few times now that you have gone viral in a tweet and other forums on social media. (laughs) Talk to me about your marketing strategy and what worked for you in the early days when you first launched and what you're focused on now, because of course, marketing has changed over the past couple of years. For sure. And so it's interesting because I think at heart, I'm a marketer. And prior to starting Femly, I was a middle school educator. And then I worked in health marketing. And then I started Femly while employed. But for me, marketing has always been about testing. And it's like trying all of the very tried and true things that have always worked. You know, that could be direct mail marketing, that could be email marketing, that could be having ambassadors in your hometown, you know, providing flyers for the demographic that you're serving. And then of course, there's Facebook ads and more. But for me, I am all about using the leanest strategy that brings us the highest ROI. So for instance, one of the things that we're doing now is leaning into direct marketing through mail. We found Mm -hmm. out that, you know, through our post office, you could be sending a discount code and a flyer to X thousands of homes for pennies on the dollar. Whereas we're also living at a time where if you only lean on social media marketing, it's costing you 40 to $60 to acquire one customer. And so for us, it's been very much a game of finding the cheapest way to get in front of existing customers and also new ones that will allow us to kind of test the waters and see what works. And then based on that feedback and the numbers of seeing what works, for instance, if we see that people are using our discount code from the mailers, we'll then add more money into that channel. So I think that all of the old ways to market are still very, very successful, but then you could also leverage some of the new ones like social media and more. For TikTok, we've gone viral. And it's funny because that's the only social media channel that I manage by myself. And so everyone that knows me knows like I'm really funny and all I do is crack jokes for a living. But I found that TikTok, I can be myself and I can like talk about vaginas and like scream it to the heavens and say all of the things that like LinkedIn may not want to hear. So what type of content on TikTok is performing for you and going viral? (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh. So I'm like holding up tampons, pouring ketchup on sanitary pads, talking about my cycle and how it changed after having a baby, just everything, you know, hormones. Like I feel like as women, we owe it to ourselves to have these very complex conversations about how your body changes with each stage. And 26-year-old Ariane's body is totally different at 33 with two babies, one in heaven and one on earth. So it's been a wild ride. But I also think that's the content that we're all craving, you know? Mm-hmm. Prior to the pandemic, we were coming out of an era where social media was curated. Instagram mm-hmm. was about how you could put your prettiest picture up. And TikTok is like how you can be your most authentic self. So that's what I love about it. Do you see that every time you have a piece of content go viral, that sales skyrocket right away from that post? Absolutely. And so I think for people who are looking to use content and social media for viral ability, I think you have to be very frank with yourself about your audience and what that call to action will be. Mm -hmm. Like on TikTok, 
the posts that have gone viral weren't the like buy family now post. Here's a discount code. It was a post talking about me spending a year in silence, two years after the stillbirth of my daughter and having my son, and then designing this first of its kind dispenser that allows you to walk up and wave hello. On LinkedIn, the post that went viral was a post talking about how female founders lack access to capital at mm-hmm. the same time that like the former WeWork founder is getting $350 million invested in his pre-concept company. And so you have to know your audience because you'll find what resonates. And then I think the other thing that's interesting is that we aren't always using social to ask for sales. We're mm-hmm. asking social to refer us to their mm-hmm. school, refer us to their workplace. If you know an investor, introduce us to them. And so I think that people feel very deeply about having a stake in your success. So if you have the right ask, it resonates even more, even uh, further. Absolutely. I have so many questions for you based on everything you just shared. <laughs> so I'm going to go back a couple of minutes now to talking about direct mail. Mm-hmm. So you decided to do a test and invest in direct mail. Did you work with a company to that specializes in that? Or did you guys figure everything out yourself and you're mailing out postcards? And so here's the thing about direct mail. You can use your gorgeous Canva subscription and create the flyer according to those size specifications. In fact, if you type in promotion on Canva, there are a bunch of templates already made for you. But you can then take that flyer that you download and go directly to the United States Post Office website and submit for direct mail. So you don't have to use a third-party company. And based on the zip codes that you want to target, they will actually tell you exactly how much your package would be. And I mean, we are talking like relatively inexpensive, like it could be $100 to target 2,500 people. Wow. Yeah. This is a great tip here. We, it is I, a great tip. I want to test that this out. <laughs> we, you should. And I would be testing it near schools and, you know, places yeah. where I know that moms live. Moms go to Starbucks, like all these different things. Moms love Target. I am that mom. And so because of that, we're finding that these are the people that refer us to their children's schools. And now we have an in. Like what better referral than the parent of a child who attends your organization? Absolutely. What are you, what is the message on the postcards? What are you, what is the call to action? And so it's been interesting. We have one that's a discount code. We have another that asks the question like, are your pads and tampons organic? Um, And then we have another one that talks about how we're a woman-owned company because that's really important to people. And so we test a few different ones at the same time, but each one has its own unique code. So on our end, we would be very easily able to see which one resonated more. I love it. Up next, the formula that Arianne has used to win 47 pitch competitions. Hi, entrepreneurs! You know I am always here to provide you with as much value as possible. So I wanted to be sure that you have access to the Entreprenista Agenda, our weekly newsletter where we share the latest business news, success stories, grant opportunities, as well as all of our favorite resources and special offers for founders just like you. You can sign up to join our weekly newsletter and join over 50,000 other entrepreneurs over at entrepreneurs.com forward slash newsletter. That's entrepreneurs.com slash newsletter to subscribe to the Entrepreneurs Agenda. 
So many of our Entreprenista members are currently thinking about raising capital or are in the middle of raising capital. I know you're in the middle of your round right now and have had a lot of experience with raising over the past couple of years. Can you share your fundraising journey? And then I want to hear all of your learning lessons and advice. (laughs) Sure. So it's been interesting because we found out that I was one of the first like 150 Black women in the United States to raise more than a million dollars in venture capital. And coming into this company, I never considered Femly a tech company. However, Period Care is a class one, class two medical device, and our dispensers are driven by artificial intelligence. Um, Raising funding was interesting because I actually tried in the beginning of our journey back in 2015, 2016. And immediately I realized that the type of questions that I was getting weren't the same type of questions that my peers were getting. And people wanted to know why I didn't have a CTO, why I didn't go to Harvard or Stanford, which 84% of venture investors have. And so I kind of tabled it, but the way that I circumvented raising venture capital was through pitch competition. So I ended up applying for my first one about five weeks into my business journey and winning $125,000 to grow. And then I realized that like using pitch competitions was an amazing non-dilutive way to grow and scale the company. And to date, we've won more than 47 competitions and $1.2 million. Wow. I just got the chills. That is incredible. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. How did you go about finding where all these pitch competitions were, learning how to perfect your pitch? Because winning 47, I mean, you must have this pitch down (laughs) pat and you're doing something right. So tell tell everyone what they need to know. (laughs) And so it's been interesting to me because I find that the best pitches, now that I find myself on the judging table, the best pitches have the same elements, generally in the same order. So it's your problem, your solution, the market opportunity, your team and traction, what money you need and how you'll use it to scale the company. And so for me, in a 10 second pitch that looks like Femily is an eco-friendly and organic feminine care company that disruptively provides organic products in a smart dispensary in restrooms nationwide. We're doing this because 63 laws now require feminine care in schools for free. And we are currently the winner of, let's say, more than 47 pitch competitions. We have signed on clients across hospitality, healthcare, and more. We're looking to raise X million of dollars to bring on an amazing team for finance, operations, and marketing. And with your funding, we have projected that we'll use it on this, that, and the third and scale to X number in revenue. And so if you're able to say that, and you know your market and your problem and solution are clear, I think that the more you pitch, the better you'll get. One thing that I have recommended for all founders is to have like a 60-second elevator pitch, a two-minute pitch, and then a five-minute pitch. And very quickly, you'll see that you'll start to like cut and paste and edit the pitch according to who you're speaking to. And the other thing is not necessarily to memorize it. It should be fluid And by just memorizing those data points, you'll be able to add and subtract all of your most recent updates that will resonate with the authority that you're talking to. And so that eventually helped me raise the first million dollars in venture funding. Congratulations. That is incredible. And I love that advice. We are going to definitely take this clip and share it with everyone. So 
they can see exactly how to set up their pitch. And we actually have a raising capital power group in our entrepreneurship community. I think it would be awesome for you to, to come talk to those founders as well. Because like you said, if you just have this template and feed in what your points are, that's what these investors are looking for. And that you know, you know what you're talking about and you have the confidence. I'd love to. And for me as a mother, I had my son, my rainbow baby during the pandemic at the height of it, January 2020, right before shutdowns. And so my million dollars of venture was raised between him being zero and six months. But I found it interesting in that spending so many years leveraging non-dilutive funding, pitch competitions, business programs, and getting to know who the players were in tech helped me raise a seed round quite a bit easier than what I was hearing from other founders. I had no interest in doing 400 calls. That is like the worst thing for me, even now. (laughs) And so I found it helpful to um, concisely leverage tools to help me raise the funding quicker. For instance, my first Zoom conversation wouldn't have been me like introducing myself to the investor. It would be, hey, here's a recording of me walking through the pitch. If this resonates, let's have a conversation about if you want to come in and how much for. Like I am all about just knocking things out quickly. And then the other thing that was really helpful for me was finding people who I call champions, Mm -hmm. not just mentors, not just super smart people to give you advice, but people who would move obstacles out of my way. And so some of my champions, when I decided to raise funding, took the initiative to sit down with me and learn my pitch the way that I give it. And they gave it to their friends in order to help us secure funding without me having to do a lot of the work so that I could focus on the business. So you definitely have to be strategic. Absolutely. And the faster you can get to that yes or no, the better. Because at the end of the day, all we have is our time each day. And like you said, if you're spending time talking to 400 investors, but half of those don't even invest in the category and would never have any interest anyways, it's not a good use of anyone's time. So I love that tip that you shared about recording your pitch sending it. And if they're interested, then you'll get on a, then you'll get on a call. And I use Loom. I use Loom, L-O-O-M to record my pitch. And then I use Docsend, which is a CRM that allows you to password protect your pitch. And so the other thing that I wanted to make sure on that journey was that it wouldn't get into the wrong hands or a potential competitor, but it definitely, definitely helped. And that strategy is still one that I use today. I also want to say that Female founders, on average, I am finding that many of us decide to raise venture after we have traction. So the more traction that you can get organically, whether that's in revenue or customers or strategic partnerships or pilots, the better you will fare when it becomes time to have that investment conversation. Absolutely. Who were some of the champions that you were able to work with to help move your race forward? Oh my God. So iFund Women was an amazing support to us. I ended up winning the iFund Women Entrepreneur of the Year, which came with a $100,000 investment. But prior to then, I actually crowdfunded on their platform a few times. Hello Alice was an amazing resource for grant funding for Black female founders. The National Urban League was amazing for providing non-dilutive funding. And then there were other organizations that provide like ongoing weekly email lists where you can have access to a list of grants. The one tip that I do that I don't think a lot of people do as well is I actually set my Google alerts for grant funding opportunities. So instead of me having to go out and find them, they often come to my email about once a week. 
You are just dropping all of the good nuggets and (laughs) advice. I love it. And actually, you just reminded me when you mentioned Dachshund before, we have a discount code with Dachshund for founders who want to sign up with them. So we'll definitely link out to that in the show notes below. So thank you. Thank you for that reminder. Yes, Dachshund is the best and you don't want your investor deck or information getting in in the wrong hands or competitors' hands. So it's a good way to to keep everything secure. Mm -hmm. What has been the most challenging part of fundraising? You're in the middle of your round right now and is a tough market out there, unfortunately, right now. So what's kept you going and what's been the most challenging? And so for family, I think the most challenging part of fundraising has just been close-mindedness. Like it's people who don't understand the need of feminine care in a restroom, yet they see a stainless steel device that's like a dinosaur everywhere they go. I also think that it's lack of understanding and just a lack of belief in a founder like myself. I don't come from tech. I don't have a well-off family that could have provided me seed funding. However, I don't know anybody else that got off of life support and pitched like I did just two weeks after. And so Mm -hmm. as a founder who's consistently underestimated, I think I thrive here. And I think one of the coolest things has been able to then kind of maintain the relationship that people who said no to me, helped me, you know, thrive with and turn that no into a yes. Like I'm finding that no's are generally a not now. And even if they are still a no, you know, after you reach that milestone or traction point, I still find those no's helpful. Like it might Mm -hmm. be, you may not invest in me, but can you connect me to your friend at Apple? Or I saw you liked someone on LinkedIn and are you willing to make an introduction or send a forwardable email? So it's relationship building. But outside of that, fundraising can be tough. You get a lot of no's. It's daunting. And then you also have the added layer as a founder of being responsible for who you bring on your cap table, who you allow to have equity in your business. Because I've seen it go well, but then I've also seen it not go well. I also think the other thing that people should be mindful of is the different types of funding that's out there. Before you go to pursue investment, you should definitely understand the different types of investment, the vehicle that you want, whether it's a convertible note or a safe note and what that means. So, you know, there are a few books that I can recommend later in this conversation, but I think that those would be fruitful for all founders. Such great advice. Thank you. Talk to me now about your growth and scaling your team. When you started, you mentioned it was just you and some family members and trying to figure it out. And how big is your team now? And what's been the most challenging part of of growing this business with a team? Sure. So family grew from a team of one. It was just me for the first five years to a team of seven. And I hired my husband in 2018, which I love because he's amazing. But... One of the things that I underestimated with building a team was the need to very quickly understand if I was actually an integrator or a visionary. And Mm -hmm. I found out that I am the most visionly of visionaries. Like I literally have no interest in the micro admin stuff. I don't care about taxes. I don't care about processes, documentation. And so I wanted to find someone who did. And I started hearing this terminology and a title called chief of staff. And it, to me, felt like it wasn't tangible because it it felt like I needed to be a big corporation to have a chief of staff. But then after reading about the position, I understood that 
this role is essentially designed to give the founder a second in command whose sole focus is to process information in the way that you do so that they can make the decision that you would make in your absence. And so with that, I ended up finding the most badass woman possible who used to lead procurement for a large school system. She was a chief of staff at an edutech startup. And so she came into my business and learned me for 30 days and figured out what my gray areas were and my gaps and completely stood up our entire sales process, our sales automation. I mean, this woman came in and in eight weeks closed a 109 school deal for us. Wow. Within two months, you know, and so having her has been amazing because an integrator like that is the person that starts to systematize your operations and build out those sales handbooks and those workbooks. And there are the ones that start to become a filter for you. Like I'm no longer allowed to give out my personal email. We have like an admin account that all emails go to and she prioritizes things accordingly. And then she's also the barrier in my shield when I don't know something or I'm unsure. So she covers me. And, you know, if you're spiritual, um, we can talk about what that means, but it's been great to have her. And so I've been encouraging everybody to think about adding a chief of staff or an operations manager to support you, even if it's fractional. Don't look at it from the lens of what you will lose when you hire that person. Look at what you will gain um, because she has literally paid for herself tenfold. That is such great advice. And I could not agree more. And I'm like you, I am a visionary and have the ideas and know what we need to do and need the team to be able to execute on everything and systematize and make all the processes. Like I know we we need all the softwares and tools and the the structure, but I'm not the best at that. And just having mm-hmm. that self-awareness to know like, what are we best at? Where should we focus our time? What's our area of genius? And we should be focused on that. And you bring on the right team members where their area of genius is the things that we're not great at. So yes. Oh, a hundred percent because she hates marketing and I love marketing. She does not want the spotlight and I am always camera ready. (laughs) And so we are literally like yin and yang. But the cool thing is um, one of the mistakes that I made in the past was hiring the wrong people. And so with her support, now that she knows my full being and what like makes me tick in comparison to what we need, I feel that much better about expanding the team in a sustainable way. Did you make any mistakes hiring prior to working with her? I did. I think honestly, as somebody who does not come from HR and who operates life through vibes and aesthetics, I totally was just hiring people off of vibes and feels. And if you felt like home, it made sense. But there were some very tried and true skills and responsibilities and expertise that we needed our team to have. And so... I learned very quickly that you have to have a like ironclad contractor agreement in place for a company like ours that also includes an NDA and a non-compete. If you work for family, you are not able to work in a similar company for quite a while. If you create something while employed at family, it is family's property. And so I would suggest that each founder talk to their legal representative to help them craft out what that should look like. But having those documents protected us, even when we made mistakes, and then everybody who either transitioned on or out, it was always amicable and, you know, always a good feeling about how things were left because we had great 
great legal advice and were able to kind of trace back our steps and see where things went wrong or, you know, maybe the person wasn't a best fit. Um, maybe we needed someone super local since most of our sales are up and down the East Coast. You know, there are a lot of best practices that I learned. But more importantly, I think the past year has helped me transition from small business owner to CEO. And I wear that title with respect for it now. Coming up, you'll learn how to prepare for an investor pitch with the help of Docsend. Hey, entrepreneurs, Stephanie here. Dressing up while working from home has truly been a challenge, but guess what? I found a solution founded by a fellow entrepreneurista. It's Armoire. You can rent stylish clothes weekly or monthly right from the app. You'll spend less time shopping and you can get up to 50% off of your first month plus two bonus items. Just use the code entrepreneurista at checkout or visit armoire.style forward slash entrepreneurista to claim your offer. Look and feel your best with Armoire. I know I do. That's armoire.style forward slash entrepreneurista. All right, this might be my favorite segment right now. I'm going to ask you a few rapid fire questions. So the first word or words that come to your mind, are you ready? Or ideas. Okay. Describe yourself in three words. Ooh, vivacious, um, dominant, and lively. What are your favorite business books? Oh my God. And so the book that helped me go from like zero to half a million in revenue was a book called Traction, Get a Grip on Your Business by Gina Whitman. And then the book that helped me find my chief of staff is also by, by Gina Whitman. It's called Rocket Fuel. And it helps you take your company from like 10 to 100. Ooh, we'll definitely link out to that in the show notes for sure. All right. Favorite app on your phone that you cannot live without? Monday.com. That CRM keeps me accountable and my chief of staff. I joke that she's like my boss, but I have like a daily to do. We have a weekly to do and then a weekly team stand up that helps us all execute cohesively. What is your favorite business tool that has helped grow your business? Docsend for sure. I send everything from recordings of our pitch deck to investors, to investor updates, to videos when I'm applying for a grant that requires like a founder video and even sales documents through there. So we can see who's looking at them and how much time they're spending on each page, which is super important for foreshadowing the types of questions you'll get in a meeting. So smart. And final rapid fire question. Do you have a hidden talent? I'm a singer, you know, coming from a grandma whose group is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think our entire family is musical, but I don't know that everybody needs to hear the happy birthday song in 10 part harmony. Well, <laughs> as coming from someone who uh, grew up in musical theater, can I put you on the spot for uh, your favorite karaoke song? <laughs> oh, my God. It's probably like a Beyonce song. Any anyone. It doesn't even have to be like a particular one. All right, I won't make you sing here, but maybe we'll uh, <laughs> maybe we'll do uh, an Instagram karaoke, Instagram live karaoke one day. <laughs> that could be really fun. All right, back to our our regular questions now. You shared and have been so open about your health journey, your journey with you know losing a child, all while you've been doing everything to grow this business. 
how have you been able to get through everything? Any advice you can share for others that are currently going through really hard times? And so this might seem really, really simple, but if you feel like you are going through it and are in the thick of it and need to take a break, but can't take the goddamn break, stop what you are doing. That email is going to be there. Those people are going to be there. That sale can be there. Like take care of you. Because one of the things that I didn't do after losing my baby girl, Sage to stillbirth was take care of me. And I went right back into work. And I'm not saying that that's not healthy because that's how some people cope, me especially. But when I finally got the time to like face the reality of what happened, it all came crumbling down mm-hmm. at the same time. And so living in an existence where we are all post pandemic anxiety and, you know, some of us have lost loved ones, our situations and relationships have changed. It is so important to take care of you. And then the biggest thing that I've learned through the process is that it's okay to tell people when I need help. Mm-hmm. I literally have girlfriends. We call it like a black girl cry session. But once every other week, we pick like the best restaurant between here and DC or New York. And we all meet up and cry about the things that are bothering us. And we hack each other's business. But you really need that camaraderie. You need those friends and that support group that can help you establish and uh go deep on your boundaries. And then you also need people that can help you and grab the shovel and dig you out of whatever you're going through. Don't depend on yourself to do it alone. Ask for help and you will get it. Absolutely. I've definitely learned that there are so many people out there that are willing to help and share advice or just listen and community and support and friendships, family. It's absolutely everything. So completely agree. Are there other things or rituals or self-care, things that you do to take care of yourself as well that have helped you? Sure. I'm super bougie. So I love a good spa day, but I date myself often. (laughs) Like I definitely pick the best restaurant and I will take myself out with one of these really good business books and just go deep and highlight Mm -hmm. thing and take notes and do all of that. The other thing that I'm constantly doing is Um, updating our business plan. Like for me, that's self-care because as we learn, I'm able to add new things to it and and kind of change it as we grow. But that's becoming my business Bible. And in the interim, the last thing we've done is we've done away with our um, Friday work schedule. So family is officially a four-day work week with menstrual leave and, you know, health benefits and all these things that are coming in the pipeline. And so we want to be true to the people that we serve and Mm -hmm. prioritize both people and profits. So I think that the next few years will be very interesting. You had mentioned that initially with the idea for family, you had, you realized there was a medical condition that was causing everything and it was from the feminine care products that you were using. How long did it take to figure that out? And were you having to advocate for yourself with doctors? Like what happened that, that led you to that and advice you can share for others that are trying to figure out what's going on in their body and not getting answers? Sure. I totally had to advocate for myself. I went to several GYNs because I was having super painful periods. I also was wearing like a super tampon and a super pad at the same time. It was just super heavy. And so I went to OBGYNs that 
I felt weren't listening to me. Everybody wanted to treat the symptom and give me birth control, but not the actual ailment. And so I stumbled into the doctor of the doctor's office of a 30 year old white guy. Um, and he was such a doll, but he listened to me. And I think it was because he wasn't a woman and he didn't have that experience of having a vagina, but he listened to me and diagnosed a tumor and then shared with me that he was privy to a study that was linking chemicals in 90% of the products on the market with additives and feminine care. And so I had that tumor removed. It was non-cancerous, but I started Femly out of the desire to increase access for all, whether you can or can't afford these products. What is your vision for Femly for the future? Oh my gosh. My vision is seeing a free organic period care dispenser from Femly in restrooms at every school, college, hospital, hotel, and more. And we're currently accepting referrals for organizations that should stock us right on our website. And for those that may be interested in investing in family after listening to this episode, what's the best way for them to reach out to you to share they're interested in being part of your journey? Sure. The best way to reach out to us is info at family, F-E-M-L-Y.com. Um, and we're happy to speak further. Amazing. Arian, thank you so much for sharing your journey. My last question for you, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? Being an entrepreneurista to me means having access to resources and more importantly, community, the community that can hold you up when you're on your high and support you when you're low. I love that. Thank you again for all of the valuable information and content that you have shared with our community. It is so helpful and we are so excited for you and cannot wait to see this vision become a reality. We know it will happen and we're here to do anything we can to support you and and get the word out and share family with everyone. Where can everyone find you, follow you? And for those that are interested in buying family products and signing up for the subscription, where should they head to do so? Sure. So our website is family.com and you can purchase our products or refer an organization that you know of that should stock our products. And on Twitter, we are Family Brand. On Facebook, we are Family Brand. And on Instagram, we are Simply Family. Ariane, thank you again for being here. I'm Stephanie and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Hey, Entrepreneurs, it's Steph here. Do you want to experience what it's like to be part of our Entrepreneurs League community of founders? Now is your chance. New member open enrollment begins on June 10th, and so does our Experience Week. I really want you to have the opportunity to experience what it's like to be part of the most supportive community that will be here to support you at all stages of your business journey during our Experience Week. This will be a five-day virtual event series, and it starts on Monday, June 10th through Friday, June 14th. 
You're going to get access to live networking and learning events, business growth strategies, as well as office hours with Kim Corral, who is a CEO and serial entrepreneurista, as well as a prominent angel investor. You will also get access to a session on how to win grants with Kat Weaver and Katie Dunn, founders of Power to Pitch. Plus, our mentor, Carrie Kirpin, will be teaching a session all about how to build a profitable business that can sell for more money. And of course, I'll be hosting two info and networking sessions where you can really get an inside look at all of the exclusive benefits and resources that are offered only inside of our Entrepreneur Salee community. Plus, you'll have the chance to meet and build relationships with current members. You can register today for Experience Week over at entreprenista.com forward slash experience week. That's entreprenista.com forward slash experience week to join us for a week of free virtual events. I cannot wait to meet you and be part of your business journey.